welcome you here this morning on a Thanksgiving week. And, of course, Thanksgiving is very important. You know, as children of God and followers of Christ, we know that we are to be kind to other people. And as followers of Christ, we also know that we should be honest and generous, respectful of others. And we could easily add to that list faithfulness, loving, caring, forgiving, helpful. But you know, if we were to list Christian character qualities, would we automatically say that Christians should be thankful? Would we automatically put thankfulness in there with caring and helpful and kind and loving as a very uh, basic element of our Christian walk? You know, if I were asked by somebody just coming up to me and saying, <clears throat> you know, what are the, the top character qualities for a Christian? Or what does a Christian strive to be? I don't know that thankfulness would come up in my answer. I would think of, you know, humble, kind, loving, things like that. But then as I look at the Bible, thankfulness seems to be a major part of the foundation of a healthy Christian attitude in life. Maybe more than we think normally. You know, in these last few Sundays, <clears throat> we've been talking about thankfulness and we've been looking into some passages, and we saw that Jesus was invited by a Pharisee to his house for dinner. And during this dinner, this big interruption came with this, this woman who was known as this awful sinner came up to Jesus, and she was crying, crying, couldn't even stop. And everybody was just looking at her, I'm sure. And her tears were wetting Jesus' feet. She dried them with her hair. She kissed his feet. She poured perfume on his feet. <clears throat> you know, making quite a scene, at the least. And Jesus let her do that. She was so, so thankful that God had sent forgiveness. She was so sorry for her sins that she had transgressed God's holy word. But she was so thankful, overwhelmingly thankful, that she was, you know, wetting his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair, kissing his feet, pouring perfume on them. On the other hand, you had the Pharisee who invited Jesus, and he has this snarky attitude like, huh, he couldn't be a prophet, or he would have known she was a sinful woman, he wouldn't let her touch him. So what kind of a prophet is he? But Jesus told the woman, go, your faith has saved you. Then we saw the ten lepers. And they begged Jesus to help them because, you know, lepers, they're just outcasts. They can't even get near people. They got to leave their family back in those days. They came to Jesus. They begged him to help them. He told them, go visit the priests. Go show yourself to the priest. And that, that was because that's where you went to, to be 
let it back into society, the priest would have to see if your disease, your contagious disease, was cured. On the way there, they realized their bodies had been healed, and so they were going to the priest, but one of them had to go back. One of them said, I've got to go back. And he went there, <clears throat> and he was overwhelmed with the emotion of thankfulness to Jesus. Thankfulness to Jesus, praising God at Jesus' feet, carrying on. And Jesus looked and said, weren't ten healed? Where are the other nine? Well, you know, Jesus again told him, your faith has saved you. This man couldn't not go back to Jesus. And then last week in Romans chapter 1, we saw the Apostle Paul say, there, he's talking about the way a society just goes downhill. And he said, when people refused to glorify God and to give him thanks, when they were unthankful to him, probably replacing him with something else, even though creation shouts the existence of God and the glory of God, you know, all the beautiful things that we see, how everything works together, shouts his handiwork that we see all around us, his eternal power, his divine nature. In spite of all of that undeniable proof of his greatness and his power, his love for people, Paul says people denied him, refused to give him glory, refused to thank him, and then they began this downward spiral, their societies. And it ends up in disgusting depravity, worshiping idols, bugs, uh, horses, monkeys, you know, everything but the true God. He says their thinking became futile, emptiness, and their hearts turned to darkness because they turned away from God. They quit thanking him. They had no thankful attitude, and they just went down into darkness and depravity. So really, thankfulness should be a major part of who we are as children of God. It kind of sets us on the right plane. True heartfelt thankfulness places us on a whole different level of living. And this morning, I'd like to look at Psalm 95 just for a few minutes. It speaks of coming before God with thanksgiving and gives us some very strong reasons why we should always be thankful. <clears throat> so I invite you to follow along as I read from Psalm 95. We're going to look at the first seven verses at the beginning. And we're going to, this, the first verse will be the same thing we saw up there. He says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. Everything from the depths to the top. They all belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land, the waters and the land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. 
The psalmist is calling people to come, come and worship God with joy and thanksgiving. It could have been, you know, the procession that was coming to the temple for the Sabbath worship. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation because our salvation, our Savior, is a rock. God's people are gathering with joy and gladness. Some are even shouting. Kind of a wild worship service, maybe. Hearts bubbling over with joy and thanksgiving, extolling God with music and song. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Like people are really into it, really into their worship, really into the thanksgiving. And he goes on to tell why we should be excited to gather as God's people. Let me go back here. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He is the ruling king of the universe. He holds the depths of the earth and the tops of the mountains in his hands. He holds all the universe. He owns the sea because he created it. And he formed the dry land on which we exist, on which we live. He reigns over every bit of creation. Nothing is out there that he can't call his. I shudder to think of anyone, this is just what's been hitting me lately. <clears throat> I shudder to think of anyone who has to stand one day before God and have to give the reason why they denied his existence. Especially those who write books about how God does not exist and study science and write tremendous papers and tremendously lengthy papers about how God does not exist. And one day they're going to stand before him like we all are. But I can't even imagine what that will be like. I believe that for some that will be the greatest moment of horror and feeling of utter lostness and despair. But we don't have to be there, do we, in that way? Because we are bowing before him as the great king above all gods. Because he is the sovereign king over all creation. He formed it. He holds it. He rules over it. So where does that lead us? Well, look at verses 6 and 7 again. It leads us to worship. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Whoops. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So he not only reigns supreme in all glory and power, and not only is he worthy of all worship because of his greatness and his wisdom and his abilities, but he also cares for us as his flock. He doesn't rule over us with a big stick. 
He shepherds us if we allow him to do so. The psalmist says, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And let us approach him with thanksgiving and joy. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? I mean, we serve this all-powerful, glorious God who really cares about us, who really loves us, loves us enough to send his son to die in our place. He rules over everything that exists. Nothing exists without his, his permission. And he will lead us to eternal bliss if we follow him. Humbly follow him with thanksgiving. Coming to Christ because that's who he sent to help us, to save us. And that thanksgiving attitude makes all the difference in the world. Having that humble attitude of gratefulness to God. That sets us on a whole different plane. It's like the difference between <clears throat> the woman humbly turning to Jesus who had had a sinful lifestyle with thanksgiving versus the Pharisee who probably felt that God should be thankful for him. It's like the one leper who couldn't thank Jesus enough. He could not keep going to the priest because he had to go back and thank Jesus. And when he got there, he just fell at his feet and he was praising God and thanking Jesus for his kindness and healing. But the other nine couldn't even go back. Or like those who refuse to give God the glory he deserves, nor thank him, and then they end up sinking into shameful disgrace, their whole society. And now the psalmist ends with a strong warning against allowing our hearts to become hard toward God. Look at verses, the end of 7 through 11. He says, today, if, you would, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. He's talking about the ancient Israelites when they complained about no water. As you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. <clears throat> He's saying, don't be like your ancestors when they came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness. He warns them against allowing their hearts to harden against God or against God's ways. He tells them not to act like those did. You see, they came out. At first, they were uh, slaves in Egypt, of course. God freed them through powerful miracles, decimating the land of Egypt, this powerful kingdom. He made the Pharaoh kneel, in a sense. He debased him and freed his people. And when they left, they gathered all the riches from the people. The people gave them jewels and riches and everything because they wanted them out of there. And so Moses led them out of slavery. God freed them. They come to a place and they saw all that God did for them, you know, through the Red Sea, coming out of Egypt, the, the blood on the doorposts. They come to a place with no water early in their journey. 
and they're ready to walk away from God. After seeing all of that, and after seeing how God had led Moses and had empowered Moses to free them with God's powerful help, and Moses says, these people are ready to stone me. And they wanted to pick new leaders to take them back to Egypt. They allowed their hearts to harden. And the psalmist says, don't allow your hearts to harden. Don't let circumstances start taking you away from God. They pushed aside all the good and the miraculous that God had done for them, the impossible, that led them to freedom from this mighty Egyptian nation and Pharaoh. And they come to the first place without water, and they're ready to turn back. And so the psalmist says, as we looked, For 40 years I was angry with that generation speaking for God. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And that generation did not enter the rest, did they? They had been chosen. That was the generation that God chose to free and to enter the promised land. And they could have been there quickly. God made them turn around and go back and go 40 years in the desert, didn't he? They had witnessed the greatness of God. They saw Egypt be decimated while they were safe in Goshen, in that part of Egypt. They saw his power as he took the lives of the firstborn, which which pretty much emptied their families. The firstborn would take over for the father, so it was like the power, the right hand. They saw his power as he uh, brought the plagues one after another, as he freed them through the Red Sea, and then the first time they have no water. Knowing what God could do, they're ready to go back. They chose not to remain thankful or give him glory, and they allowed their hearts to harden. You know, today we are seeing professing Christians, you know, widely, speaking widely to, to people, Christian leaders, allowing their hearts to be hardened against God. And the ones that make the news, because they have large followings, you know, pastors, musicians, uh, popular bloggers, they run into tough times. They encounter hardships or disappointments, or they see things in the Bible that they can't justify in their minds. How could God do this? How could God allow this? They see things happening out there. Well, you know, the Israelites saw things happening and they wanted to turn back, but God was there, wasn't he? I mean, he was faithful. He had a plan, but he wants us to trust him. But instead of trusting God <clears throat> through those, tro- those problems, trusting in what we do know about God, we don't know everything that God is doing. We probably know this much of what God is doing. And all through history, he's working out his plan. And it's not always easy. And in fact, the Bible tells us, with much suffering, you enter the kingdom of God. And so the Bible tells us things are going to get rough at times. 
But sometimes people see stuff they don't like or something that hurts real bad, and they just walk away from God. What they're doing is they're allowing their hearts to grow hardened. They quit thanking him for what they do know about him. I always think when I can't explain something, I, th- I think he sent Jesus Christ who got mutilated and beaten and hung on a cross to save us from our sins. So anything I can't understand, I can understand that. That's his love for us, to send his own son. So that should solve it, I think. But like the Israelites who wanted to turn back when they didn't have any water, hearts were hardened. So there's two things I see here. Number one, allow the scriptures and your time with God in prayer to make us thankful people. Use our time in the scriptures and our time with God in prayer to change our hearts, to soften our hearts and make us thankful. Think of all the things that God has done in his creation, in his love, in the making of this earth, how everything works together. The more we know about God's character as we're in the word, that's the thing. See, a lot of people, today everything is kind of a meme, you know, it's, it's one statement. And there are some good ones, <clears throat> clever ones, but if you leave, put God into a meme, you're, you're missing most of the picture. You've got to be reading the scriptures. You've got to be understanding where, how he is throughout the scriptures and what people have done and how God has treated them. And, and you've got to know the whole story. The more we know about God's character and his care for us, the more we become thankful people. And that's the goal, become thankful people. Our hearts soften toward God so that we have thankfulness. But the more we allow the world's message to come in and fill our hearts, like we're being, uh, you know, we're being oppressed or we're being cheated or things should, like this shouldn't happen. The more we do that, the more we allow it in, then the more we're thinking cynically. And our hearts are not soft towards God. And the more thankful we become, the more joyful we become. And the more thankful and joyful we become, the more salt and light we become to others. And that's what I've been saying through this series. Who would you rather be around? Somebody cynical and feel like they're cheated or somebody that's thankful? Somebody that's always thankful. You're just drawn to that person. So, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Thought I had one more there. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the strong, strong message through the word of God. Help us to absorb that message. Help us to bring it into our hearts so that the Holy Spirit 
can minister to us through God's word. And Lord, help us be people of the word. Help us to be appreciative, thankful. And Lord, help us to, to spread that to other people. And so that we may be salt and light and others may come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.